One of those days. Huh? That's right. How, how old is your boy? Uh, he's eight, actually. Okay. Yeah. That answered a question I had. Oh, look at that. Hell yeah. We're twins. That's awesome. Hell yeah. Uh, sorry. I just saw yeah. you all. But did you have Gunnar Hansen sign it, dude? <laughs> no, no, I do not. Sorry. Is, is that an actual one sheet? It is, yeah. All right, then you got us beat there. That I think ours is a recreation that I bought like 20 years ago at a convention just to get him to sign it. And then... <laughs> You know, yours was in a frame. If you try yeah. to like professionally frame a one sheet, yeah, man, you better have some money. So the dude who did that, he convinced me to not only dry mount it, but to like chop it down to fit into a frame he had. And you I'm like, what? mine yeah. is dry mounted, which is All right. which is terrible. It's just like I had this like it was my brother in law. He you know he was a framer, and I got him to frame all this stuff of mine like 20 years ago. And it's all like dry mounted and basically kind of like, I mean, it looks fine, but it's just, you know, it's kind of killed the value, but, uh, but there you go. <laughs> well, okay. Are, were you ever going to sell it though? No. Exactly. And that's what I yeah. had to come to terms with. Yeah. The one right behind me, this, yeah. this film, Murder, Death, Koreatown, it's like yeah. a new, newish found footage movie. The director uh, vanished and it's become kind of like a hot commodity. Oh, okay. And I was like, fuck, we showed it at our film fest and he gave me a signed poster. So oh. I'm like, yeah, I could put in my hacky podcast and make everybody like want it. But yeah. when I got it framed, they're like, you, you're going to dry mount it. I'm like, no, I'm not going to destroy it. Yeah. Brought it home. It became so wavy. Yeah. It looked, it looked like trash. And I'm like, yeah, oh, fine, fuck it. I know, I know Clark. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no, no. I just, uh, huh? I want to clue our listeners in. Who, uh, you know, like a fly yeah. on the wall situation. Uh, Barnaby went back and, and brought out a one sheet of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, which is hanging behind us. So we found out that we're uh, we're Texas Chainsaw twins with Barnaby. And then uh, you and Barnaby immediately go into a very technical conversation <laughs> about uh, dry mounting and uh, all this. Stuff. Now, Barnaby, what you need to know is that Russell is a recovering framer himself. Yeah, he worked at a frame shop for a little while, so it's it's still in his blood. You know, he's he, he misses the game. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. No, they fucked me. And you know, this <laughs> this is my problem with the traditional nine to five. I showed up because I have a bunch of wall art. Like yeah. I think any hopeless film fan, you're like, dude, I got to frame my one sheet. So I wanted to be a framer and they forced me into like management. Yeah. And I'm like, they're, oh, it's a career. Blah, blah. Oh, man, fuck that. <laughs> you know, my, shout out to Aaron Brothers. <laughs> my my brother-in-law who did that, he, um, he was a... Uh, he was for framing for like maybe like almost a decade. That was his, he had a, a store and it was his thing, but he was like commuting an hour and a half a day. He hated it. One day he decided to pack it in and do what he really loved doing, which is uh, building stone circles. And now he's like, he has his own business where he goes, he travels across England. He like sources like giant monolithic rocks from quarries and then takes them out to fields and builds like Stonehenge, basically, you know? Really? Uh, yeah. And he's he's made like a cottage industry of that. Yeah. He's literally the only person in England who does <laughs> it. And his these things are like all over England now. Like long after we all die, like his stones are gonna be standing there in some field getting battered by the rain. And yeah, it's it's, it's kind of awesome actually. So do people commission him to do? How does how does how does one make money off these giant 
stoned yeah, him. They commissioned him. I mean, he does a lot of, uh, I would say, like, probably, like, these days, a large portion of his money is from, uh, commissions is from, is from, like, cemeteries, you know, from people who want, like, a headstone, but, like, something yeah. different to get him to do, like, a monolith or something. But, um, but you know, a lot of memorial stones. But, but, but he does do these stone circles, and, and they pay a, a lot of money. There's a lot of people with a lot of money, and they've got, like, a lot of land. They don't really know what to do with this land. And maybe they've got some kind of vague hippie vibes somewhere deep down, and they uh, think it's cool to have a stone circle. So they get him. I do like that. I also like how uh, Russell and I, as two very staunch Americans, are listening to this, <laughs> and how un-American that is. Because <laughs> here in the U.S., we, we have sort we have car hinge, uh, where people's taking like 1979 Lincoln Continentals and uh, put them in the oh ground. God, that <laughs> that's so what nice. we do. <laughs> yeah. We we did have that that brief yeah. moment where monoliths were appearing everywhere. That yeah. is true. That's funny. Was yeah. that your brother doing that? Yeah, I wish. Maybe it is. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> All right. Now, you did. You answered a question up top. I was gonna. I didn't know if I should come in here and and hug you or scold you. Mm. And I'm gonna give you a little <laughs> bit of insight on on me. I uh, I had a boy last year, my first kid, and I felt like your movie kind of spoke directly to what I think a lot of my peers are feeling. And I don't. I, I want to tread lightly here. I know we're gonna cover it on a you know, the episode that's going to going up before this. So I don't want to get too in the weeds, but I noticed in 2023, a lot of horror films kind of dealt with the idea that having a kid was a horror and that, <laughs> and I, as I mean, I have a, a lot of friends who are the same age as me and don't have children. And I immediately, I, I was like, Oh man, this is made by somebody who doesn't have a kid and they're getting it wrong. Like completely. Yeah. And one of them was like my favorite horror movie of 2023 is probably um, where it when evil lurks mm. because I thought it was kind of the horror of being a bad dad, yeah, which spoke to me. So I coming in here, one of the first things I want to know is your relationship with kids. Cause you have a lot of them in here and they're, they're playing an important role in your movie. Yeah. Well, I don't, you know, I mean, my relationship with kids is definitely not like that. It's definitely, it's definitely <laughs> That's good. That's comforting. Right. A little healthier. Uh, yeah, I'm just like, um, I think it was, it's not really the relationship with kids. It was, for me, it was more about like the feelings you get. Uh, well, I got as a man facing fatherhood for the first time, you know, um, mm -hmm. just like how this kind of life changing event and, you know, you think about all the things which are in front of you and how how everything's going to shift. But at the same time, you also, I think, with birth and also with death, I had a similar thing when my father died. It was just like with these with these like monumental um, uh, acts of life, death that happen in in with to us. We, uh, I think, it just like in that situation, you're opened up to this kind of like slightly bigger scheme of things if that makes sense you're suddenly like kind of like forced to like look at like things on a really like big level you know um yeah. because it's so surreal it's just like everything you're up against is so crazy so i think that's what where i was really coming from 
my relationship with kids is good <laughs> and it is healthy. And my son is not a terror. Um, I mean a little bit, but like, um, uh, I think my, my the thing I was getting at with the boys in my film was more just like, what if you put a group of people in a situation and they grow up a certain way from like, you know, from birth upwards, um, in a very like enclosed community, I think, things that to us look kind of barbaric to them are, you know, just every day. It's what they do. It's how they live. It's how they survive. So that's really where I was coming from. Interesting. Okay. I I feel like when your movie hits, it's going to get a lot of like surface reads about like nuclear family and like (laughs) being tied down. And I, I was really like, just from the aesthetic of your film, I get like Lars von Trier, Terry Gilliam, like, heightened reality. Like I kept thinking this is kind of like twin peaks meets the outwaters. Yeah. Like where we're doing kind of like a regular family melodrama in a like bizarre <laughs> desert setting. Yeah. And I, I don't know why I, I have a lot of gripes with like modern, like everybody being a critic. I'm just like, this is going to be one of those gems that people like try to like punch down immediately. And then there'll be like a cult following who gets it. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm curious, where where does your influence come from? Like, who are you watching now? Who am I watching now? I oh, God, I, I just watch everything. I mean, I watch like you know, my thing is very much like I go for yeah, I go for like high art, you know, but I also go for like uh, yeah, just kind of like total b-movie whatever you know i i I, what i don't really like is what's in between i mean like last night for example i was kind of like sick yesterday and i was just hanging out in bed and i just decided to watch a couple of movies and like i watched um the strange vice of uh of um what's it called miss ward you know the sergio martino giallo film Mm -hmm. um this film called the Cassandra cat, which is like a, a kind of pretty, arty, pretty out there, like uh Czech film from the Czech new wave, you know? And so like, you know, I'm really, I, I like to go, my boundaries are wide. I just don't like the stuff in the middle so much. <laughs> so, but for this, for this, I'm just really, um, a lot of my influences for this came from like 70s Australian outback horror you know i really like the visceral nature of those films i like the way they look i like the way yeah just the 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 kind of journey you go on through with these characters wake Um, and fright wake and fright was a big influence for sure wake and fright picnic hanging rock walkabout the three which really kind of uh infuse this um and but also, yeah, I mean, you know, we were talking about Texas Chainsaw earlier. I mean, that, you know, to me is just something which is like, it always, again, it has that film, the reason why in my mind it stands test of time is it just has this this insanely visceral nature to it, which is just impossible to walk away from, you know, you can't, you can't get out of that. And, um, uh, and, and it has a, a kind of seriousness of intent as well, you know, um, um, even though it's kind of funny as well, it's like, you know, it's, it's, it has its weird kind of crazy gallows humor, but it's, but it's, uh, but it's the way the approach is serious. 
and also artistic as well. Yeah. You know, I, I asked the question trying to, to figure out if you were more of a genre guy or a film guy, and you named a ton of films that are all complicated in that way. Like The Strange Vice and Miss Ward, that's one of the movies that like Severn put out and a lot of people confuse it for like smut. But yeah. there's like, there's more going on. It's like 70. And then uh, Cassandra Cat, remember Randy covered that on here. Mm-hmm. And you get all that great imagery of the cat and sunglasses, yeah. which I imagine a ton of hipsters would rent for that. <laughs> which, like Randy did, except it's a more complicated movie. Yeah. So do you think... The cat looks cool though. The cat does look cool. <laughs> yeah. The imagery is fantastic. Yeah, yeah, that's amazing. But now you, you've identified, you've, you've uh, shown your allegiance to like kind of heady, well-paced film. And I'm curious if you think there's really a audience for it now. Like we're living in the TikTok world with like Netflix and there's just so much to choose from. And you've named a bunch of films that kind of demand uh, you sit down and enjoy the ride. Yeah. I mean, I really really hope so i mean like i think that uh i don't know i think there's always people out there who i think there's like casual viewers who go in and they just want something casual but like ultimately there's a lot of people out there who really want to who want who ultimately want a little bit more you know there's like so much been so much conversation in the last like you know a couple of years about marvel movies and like just the sort of superhero fatigue and i just i think that there is a fatigue you know because i think people are slowly getting like to a point where they're like okay all right we've we've actually seen this story we've actually seen this film now and uh maybe it'd be good to try something else you know um and i do think that i i think this is a place for both that's the thing i think there's a place in the world for if you want casual entertainment then uh it's there you know but at the same time you don't need to deprive the world of something a little bit richer, you know, because I think, yeah. I mean, personally, like I'm the kind of person who, who, um, if I, if I'm like depressed for whatever reason, um, I don't actually like seek casual entertainment. I'll seek something like really intense. Um, because generally I really just get into it more and I, I just come out with a slightly richer experience. And, you know, even though it's depressing, it doesn't really depress me in a weird way because I've seen something which has maybe, I don't know, highlighted something about humanity or whatever. I don't know. It just made me think, basically. Yeah, it can be cathartic watching other people go through struggles. Similarity (laughs) and oftentimes way worse. Yeah, I know. Totally. Yeah. (laughs) So would you recommend depressed people watch the CD? <laughs> yeah. I mean, well, I did. I had a great time. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's certainly, I think it's, it's transportative, you know, I t- what's funny about the film is like, I do remember there was a point where it was pretty close to kind of locking the edit and I watched it with my editor and, I was like, yeah, it's good. We finished. We're pretty close. Pretty good, you know. And then, um, and then I just thought to myself, God, this is like, but it's just like it's punishing, man. You know, it's a, it's not a, it's not like a fun ride, you know. <laughs> Some films, you just sometimes you do just want that. You want that kind of elixir of a, of just like, of just entertainment, you know. But that can still be a little bit more. I don't know, like. 
I don't know. I think somebody who did that really well was like Paul Verhoeven, for example. It's okay. just like, yeah. like amazing entertainment, but like, you know, somewhere in there, there's, there's something more than just like throwaway trash, you know, it just, uh, um, yeah. So what he, I, he might be the best example because I do think he is like very, like if, if you subscribe to the auteur theory, he's definitely got it, but all his films, I think it took about 20, 30 years for people to be like, no showgirls is good. <laughs> and it's saying something. And then like RoboCop, which, you know, it's a very good genre movie. Total Recall. Starship oh, yeah. Troopers. Like yeah, all we of can them. Keep going. But they're all, they work perfectly. Like I always imagine uh, the goal of a film, like there's a scale. And one is like artistic value and one is like market value. Yeah. And I feel like there are movies that can kind of nail that. Yeah. Like uh, a recent one would be Everything Everywhere All at Once. Like they kind yeah. of balance that. I feel yeah. Verhoeven nails it. Until he does yeah. something like L. And then you're like, you're like, oh shit, I don't know if people are gonna want to fuck with this one. Right? <laughs> well, he's you know, he's Dutch, so like he has like <laughs> a, he has an extreme, you know, I think he has a an allegiance to the extreme. And uh and he, I think he honestly always kind of like gets a kick out of just like pushing his audience as far as he can go, you know? And um so I I yeah, I Full, full hats off to him you know i really liked his last one as well actually um uh what's it called the the one about the nun crazy benedetta benedetta yeah yeah, yeah. big fan yeah it's great it's really fun i gotta go back <laughs> i don't know why i didn't like that one yeah, that was so good i got caught up in her like peen right was there like a straw toilet i at think one you point? got caught up in the cg fire <laughs> that too cg fire it, it killed i'm much more into uh but see he uses bad cg fire you know, know as his muse <laughs> it's all it's part of his whole you know i'm yeah. fucking cool paul verhoeven motif yeah you know, yeah the most the, the the toughest thing with l is there's not a lot of like hand holding narratively mm. so you're kind of just left with this kind of brutal subject matter yeah, yeah. and you gotta figure it out and you gotta yeah. like think about her yeah. which i would not say for the seating and I, it was interesting because you're talking about it being kind of like a tough journey here and i agree but while I was watching it, I kept thinking, you know, if the if the music were upbeat, I don't I think this movie might come off as like a mystical journey into a good like <laughs> n- not to project too much. But the music, man, I also I don't know, but I was getting under the skin vibes throughout the yeah. whole thing, like this blend yeah. of like tech, but like orchestra and natural. And it was that was terrifying. Yeah, well, um, yeah, great. That's prop, props to Tristan Bechet, um, who did an amazing job. My my cousin, who was the composer. Um, yeah, he. So, a couple of things. One is that that's that's coming out actually on Milan Records, which is awesome. Very excited about that because it's such okay. a good soundtrack. Um, but you know, uh, funny enough, I was when I was writing the film, uh, you know. Often I write to music, and one of the things I listened to on a loop for hours and hours was Under the Skin, actually. Um, That was very much like propelling the feeling of it, that. And then there was like this this, um, uh, piece of music from Stalker. It's like the main theme from Stalker, uh, Mm. Tarkovsky movie, which is like really interesting kind of sonic 
strange, takes you to a strange place. And that's kind of what I was going for. Like with this film, I just wanted to go somewhere a little bit different. And then, you know, Tristan, um, we, we've worked together many times in the past and we, uh, so we have kind of an immediate language together. And I think I sent him like the second draft or something. He was on board very early on and started, started writing stuff and sending me tracks and, um, and by the time we got to shoot, I already had like 30 pieces of music, you know, which was awesome. So I, I shared stuff with, with the cast. So they had like a real idea of like, this is, cause you know, yeah, you read the script and you're like, okay, this could be, this could be this film, but it could also be this film. Like you said, like different type of music, different kind of way it's presented. It could go to a different place. And, um, but, uh, you know, we spoke about where we want, wanted to go, Tristan and I, very early on, and um, and he, I knew that he could get there. He's just like, I mean, his music falls in that world pretty well anyway. So, and he was doing some funny stuff, like kind of, um, he was just a siren going past. Um, he <laughs> was, uh, uh, you know, he 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 sent. He asked a couple of people who are like avant-garde, um, like musicians. One from a guy from from Neubauten. Do you know Neubauten? They're like a they're like a German industrial band from the eighties, nineties. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Neubauten. Yeah. yeah, I had to. He he had to say it, and then I had to match it, the spelling in my head. You know, I don't speak German. Like, what the yeah. hell is it? <laughs> no, I don't know it. Yeah. Okay. Well, they're like a kind of legendary band and they um they're like one of the first like classic bands who would like get on stage with like jackhammers and uh oh, you know, all sorts of power tools and just make noise, you know. <laughs> and so he reached out to this one guy and uh um FM Einheit is his name and he does these one of one of the the primary instruments that he used which is in our soundtrack is the sound of giant um they're like springs that you find in a suspension of a truck you know those huge springs. yeah, yeah. so he was like playing them basically and then <laughs> like screwing with them sonically but anyway they patched this together and 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 tristan brought all these sounds together and started building stuff and i could use this yeah to show my cast and my crew earlier on and and just give them a really strong idea of what this film was before we even started shooting it. That's great. Wow. It's, you know, I couldn't, I was trying to stay away from it, but I think it works here. What, like making a David Lynch comparison. Cause I hate Lynchian. Honestly, when people do that, I put, think a, it's like, put a dollar in the jar. I place. know. Yeah. We have a square <laughs> jar here for every time that comes up, but it, the twin peaks comparison, it really mm. stood out to me. And I know he did that too. Mm. Like had a vibe that he would play on set for people to feed from. Yeah. And I, I think that's a fantastic style Yeah, because it, I understand now you could be making that movie. You could be making the seating and think you're in a completely different movie, mm. but it feels so well conducted by you, like everything. And we've seen a lot of desert horror recently, especially yeah. we do a lot of found footage so yeah. like that water's a horror in the high desert. And this one felt unique And it's, what desert did you shoot in? It's in, uh, in Southern Utah, Kanab. It's kind of like not far from Zion. And uh, 
that kind of area. How did I not think of Utah? <laughs> because you don't leave the state of California. I know. Well, I know. Physically and figuratively. But well, I know there is some, I will say, he might have been kind of thrown because there's obviously some like, some Joshua trees in it. So some yeah. of the, there are some pickups we did. Like the scene at the that opens the movie was shot just outside. In fact, it was shot in this for the movie nerds out there. It was shot in the same place that phase four was shot. Actually, I don't just, know phase four. Damn it. I was keeping four. up with you the whole time and then I lost it. That's uh um well you know who Saul Saul Bass is? Yeah, yeah. Okay, the legendary uh, graphic designer did all Hitchcock's um, title sequences, and he directed one film, Phase Four, and um, uh, it is about it's like a sci-fi movie about ants taking over the world, <laughs> and uh, it's really cool, and it's just like totally weird and like just an awesome little strange little movie, and it was made just. Uh, out, it's kind of near Palmdale out there, you know, so um, we shot our little opening of our film there as well. Same plot of land. So, Bart, did you guys construct this uh, this little shack or was that already a, an existing structure? Uh, we built the shack, yeah. We, yeah. We, we like searched all over the world for a um, for the location and somehow Utah was where it was at the end. It was just like, that was where, it was just like a, whole you know bunch of different things seemed right about it it was like it was uh just immediately visually interesting uh the kind of textures in the rocks and yeah. the height the scale of it just seemed right it was also like pretty solid up there and we needed for a practical level we need to have these boys standing up there at the top and then down at the bottom uh it was pretty flat so and then it was about maybe like it was about a 10 minute drive on a proper road from the town and then another 15 minute drive into the canyon. It was basically a canyon. It's a curve in a canyon, which we then like did some post and sealed up afterwards. But um uh extremely beautiful place. Um and we we yeah, we built the shack in there with the idea that my thought from the very beginning was like, you know, when you're like operating on a small budget uh but you want to try and you know push towards some level of realism the closer you can make it real for everybody involved the better it's going to be so um <clears throat> this really was we were really in this kind of this canyon this crater for like basically yeah three weeks and it was a hell for all of us <laughs> yeah, it yeah. really was I mean, every day my drive in through this absolutely like stunning ravine to get to this place was just my kind of like drive of hell, you know, as I just sat there in the car just thinking like what nightmare is going to happen today. And <laughs> also the drive was insane because it was an off-road road, which a week before the shoot actually washed away completely. Oh, and no. then we had to rebuild. We were just rebuilding this road throughout the whole shoot. There was this one old dude on a truck on a tractor just like <laughs> rebuilding this road <laughs> i remember seeing him one day and just thinking god if only we could just swap places i just want to be doing what you're doing <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm glad you asked about the location because i was honestly scared to the whole movie i couldn't tell it felt so controlled 
that part of me felt like you were on a studio lot. And yeah. it felt like absent of wind and weather. It felt um, out of time. And I was beating myself up because clearly that's Utah. Have you ever seen Cliffhaven? If you Google that, it's like, I remember, I can't, I can't n- tell if my mind is playing tricks on me, but I remember seeing like a documentary about like polygamy hives mm-hmm. in, in the yeah. mountain walls there. Yeah. And I, I'm I'm glad I didn't think of that during the movie because I think I might have got caught up in it. Where it's like, oh, is this like a yeah. polygamy thing? Yeah. Or like, <laughs> like he definitely would. Yeah, but there was a I, lot of uh, there was a lot of like Mormon action there, and um, they were the locals were definitely pretty uh, a little bit suspect. Like, what's going on over there in that canyon, man? And then <laughs> we had those you know, like the murals painted on the canyon wall and, you know, they're kind of graphic and weird and they're like, oh, my God, what are you doing? you got weakness <laughs> in the canyon. Um, but they, they, everybody was very nice, but, yeah. So did you have to, like, deal with the community to get permits or, like? Oh, yeah, yeah. And, and they're to. like, what are you doing up there? And I'm like, well, we're going <laughs> to. Yeah, yeah. They were just, everybody was just a little bit baffled and we had to kind of, like, I mean, we did have to do a lot of, explaining um i think there was also some issue that like pretty soon maybe six months before we shot they shot some scenes from um uh westwell in the same spot Ah. actually and um and that was kind of graphic and the guy who like owned the land saw that and he's like what are you that's I don't want to do that. And then he was saying that about this and he nearly backed out. And it was just, you know, it's complicated because you're dealing with, you know, not people who just want to like make some money, but also have a high moral fiber that uh, um, they're just like, this is, so we kind of had to, I think I gave him a slightly watered down version of the film. The nice Mm -hmm. version that you were talking about earlier on was kind of the the version that he- there, right. You could spin that story into a like positive religious experience, yeah. like very easily. I'm mm. not joking. Clark is smiling. I would love to hear it. <laughs> well, I mean, okay. I'm, I'm going to tread lightly here. Okay. But part of me thought that this movie might be about a well-to-do uh, late 30s um, single dude in America, maybe, who has stumbled upon a potential nuclear family system. And maybe being judged by the internet. That's where I was going, kind of. <laughs> where it's like, is this what I want? Am I trapped? Or am I like, is this the next for- step in life? Or, And I don't get a lot of that in modern film. That's why I was like having fun yeah, as yeah. somebody doing that. Well, for me, I, I internalize this film. As the <laughs> message of the entire film is don't go hiking. Uh, yeah, that too. Don't that's, walk around in the desert. That's the message I got, Barnaby. So yeah, yeah, my, yeah. my mission in not exercising, you just you you keep uh, contributing to that cause. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, one of the things was, uh, okay, so there is this, the character I wrote is supposed to be somebody who, yeah, he lives in the city. Maybe he lives here in Los Angeles or something. He is a professional man who works. He works in science, and but he's kind of somebody who's basically kept the social life, you know, pretty far at bay. And the kind of the the 
the he's getting to the, a phase in his life. There was a whole bunch of backstory which I wrote and then kind of just got rid of actually. But um, yeah, he's like his 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 sisters ring him up saying why don't you come and see the kids and all this kind of stuff and like you know he's just a guy who's just like you know i'm reaching this age this is who i am this is what i want to be you know and i don't need the world around me so then when he gets into this situation that he does find himself in he's like he's like i want to go home i want to go home i want to get back to my life and then he's just like what the fuck is my life you know what have i got there there is nothing there, you know, what, what, you know, I've got my, he, there's a scene where he goes through his wallet and it's kind of like what that's supposed to be is really just like, it's not actually a look at what's in his wallet. It's actually what's, what's, um, uh, what's kind of not in there. You know, it's like, mm-hmm. it's like, that's all he's got. Just like, you know, some credit cards and a driving license. And it's like, that's, there's no pictures of family. There's no like, you know, and, and maybe a condom or two. <laughs> yeah. Actually, I tell you what there is. If you look very carefully in that in that moment, is there is a um, this was kind of a little little like Easter egg um, was uh, uh, a New Beverly ticket stub. Oh, <laughs> quite funny. Hell yeah! Not that he's the kind of guy who'd go to the New Beverly, but somehow he did. <laughs> um, I feel like, yeah. I you know because to me we we're in the Bay Area, yeah. and it felt very like real. Where you yeah. get somebody who's like very smart, good looking dude, healthy, and they're doing all these things to become a better person. And it's like, well, to, to like what end? Oh, yeah. and, and then they try to help a teenager. <laughs> I know. Well, that's kind of the thing is like, well, if everything is provided for you and you can live fine, like there was still yeah. like I felt that he still had a call to the corporate world. Yeah. But you've yeah. got to be like, why? Like, yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah. What is who cares, man? You know, and I think that's that was his big, his big revelation when he's there is just like, what do I need? What 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 is there? What what I'm trying to get back for? I don't really know. That's the sad, the sad reality that dawns on him. But um, the other thing to your point about hiking is <laughs> is, is is this. Uh, I guess it was like when I was I was like shopping around the script to various DPs. And I sent it to a cinematographer who I've worked with a few times on music videos and did a short film with actually. And um, he read it and he really liked it. And uh, and we talked about it and blah, blah, blah. And then like a few months, I I chose somebody else. And then a few months later, I got this email from him and he said, oh God, so this crazy time I went like hiking with my nephew. I'm not sure where he was, but somewhere in the desert. He was with his nephew who's like, a kid and um they were walking out there and then suddenly his nephew spots some other kids and these other kids are like hey there's this snake down there do you want to come and see the snake and he's like yeah i want to see the snake so he drags frank my friend dp with him and they start walking further and further out to go and see this snake and all frank is thinking is just like my film. He's just thinking about the seeding. He's just like, oh my God, what is going to happen to me? <laughs> To the point where eventually he was just like, okay, fuck this. We've got to get out of here, man. I don't want to end up prisoner in a pit somewhere in the middle of the desert. So, oh, 100%. Uh, yeah. yeah, Snake is a six foot seven, 400 pound <laughs> monster. Yeah. Huh? Huh? Yeah. So I, I have to ask, and I, I mean this in the nicest way. But people who usually pivot from music videos get kind of a bad rap when they jump into 
uh, fictional narrative That's making. That's not true. I think it, it in the genre. I if we watched the movie and it felt off, and then we went to IMDb and we're like, oh, everything they did was music videos before. Yeah. That's kind of enough. And I've had that conversation many times. Who are you talking about, McGee? <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I don't want to name names. I could. The last one. It was an early horror movie, beginning of the year. What deal. about Jonathan Glazer, baby? <laughs> I know, and I'm curious. Like, are you aware of that at all? Like the music. I feel like it's not like oh. taboo, but there's something there. Like people can't yeah. translate it. Yeah. No, I think that there is a. For you know, I mean, obviously, people like to kind of you know just. I mean, a film can be bad for a number of reasons, not yeah. just because it's like they come from a certain field. You know, it's like it can be a. But but I do think that, I mean, there has been a there's been a lot of amazing. You just named Jonathan Glazer and like Fincher and uh, um, Spike Jones. You know, all these guys yeah, just Spike incredible Jones. movies. You know, um, uh, but like obviously there is yeah some Michelle Gondry. <laughs> And uh, I think, I don't know. I mean, I think it's, it's, it's always a hard leap to make it from, from uh, it's, it's easier because you have the experience when you come from music videos mm -hmm. or something or, or anything, any field within the kind of visual arts, you know, um, you have the experience, you have, you have, you know how to use a camera, um, you know how to work under like budgets and time and time restraints. And, um, but at the same time, if you, then, then if you come from, from nowhere, if you're just a, a guy who's just made some short films or, but at the same time, like that person who's just made the short films, they have no, you know, they obviously have nothing. They have no, um, uh, tag on them. So it's, it's harder to kind of like say, Oh, it's because they've done this, you know, and that's why it's not good, you know? So I don't think it's like really to do with that. I think there is a, there is a real, um, there can be a, a sense that some people who come from music videos, they just tell, make films which are very visually satisfying yeah. or flashy, but not necessarily, like have a great story or have any depth to them or whatever or i mean but you know i mean you've only got to look at like glazer who's like one of the most like restrained fucking filmmakers out there to realize that he's not taking his like music video aesthetic and throwing it at that he's just like using taking the experience that he had from from years of making commercials and music videos and short films with him into making something else he's applying his own his own cinematic rules um, to the film. So I think it's a little unfair, but at the same time, I, you know, I've, I've seen it before and you want I'm, me as a film, as a, as a music video director and was of course aware of that as well. You know, there's uh, you know, excessive is kind of like a label that you'd get. Okay. Um, yeah. Like visually excessive or like slick, but <laughs> kind of empty or whatever, you know, those are the kind of, general music video labels which understandable what are you articulating if you critique something as visually excessive like um, it's just too much to look at like what the <laughs> fuck well like what do you barry linden yeah what do you want at that point i in I mean, my I head trying to work it out i kept thinking of like editing and pacing 
And yeah. I think a lot of the directors that we've named here all almost go hard the other direction. Yeah. Where they really like live in a moment. Yeah. Where I feel like a lot of uh, like I've done editing. I haven't done any like music video stuff. But from what I've seen, it's a lot of like three setups. And I'm talking like YouTube music mm-hmm. videos. And then yes. you find it in the edit. So yeah. I didn't know if there's something like lost in communication with crew or like because you seem to have, a like I said earlier, a fantastic control of the set like the movie felt very controlled to me Mm. which is i was kind of shocked by because you got a lot going on and a lot of different moods and the atmosphere and the music like they're all kind of they're not traditionally the the type of art you see collaborating together but it felt very uh natural in your film yeah i mean i think again i think coming from music videos like you uh it it taught me a lot of things right it taught me i mean more than anything how to achieve whatever you're trying to achieve within the time constraints that you have within the budget and the time you have right and um it teaches you to plan and so i you know pretty meticulous in my planning um uh with the idea that i want the film the 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 end result of this to yeah be a be an all an all-encompassing piece you know something which which uh is propelled by its visuals its soundtrack its sonic track its narrative its pacing everything you know really that's to me the best type of film is is when i see something which kind of like is firing on all levels and i really want to get that and to do that, I need to like really plan. And it's not saying that I don't deviate from that plan because obviously you have to deviate from that plan because because shit is being thrown at you from every different angle and you just got to learn how to like dodge and move and just be kind of fluid within it. But yeah. but to have that start off with that base of like something solid and, and a really strong idea of what you want to get you know, what it's, what that world is. And, and, um, I mean, one of the things which was important with this film was like, I really like the idea of kind of, again, it's kind of a annoying word these days, but like an immersive experience, <laughs> you know, um, I like the idea of when you, I like it when you go into a movie and you're just in a world and you just uh not in the trailer sense in a world but, but yeah. like yeah. That's but, a good voice. <laughs> in a world you know you're in this place where you're kind of just uh obviously trapped in this place in this circumstance but like um you're really kind of going through it and at the end you kind of like given some level of respite but that little universe you you do not break out of and it's just kind of i don't know it just feels i, I like films which do that and I, I i wanted to do something like that with this yeah i th- i think a lot of people like those type of films but fail at executing them and uh you did fantastically thank it, you it, yeah it at in some way feels claustrophobic and like kind of arid like the desert mm. like when he comes outside and is kind of doing um like homesteading. I don't know. I don't want to like enter spoiler territory here, but yeah, you, you communicate the two very well. Yeah. 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 I think, uh, you know, my thing is just like, 
in that situation, you, uh, I mean, there's this certain like Stockholm syndrome mm-hmm. where you, where at a certain point, you know, you fight, you fight, you fight, and then there's a certain point you break and you're like, you're like, okay, well, I'm here, you know? Um, and then, and then the one, th- you know, I was really pushing the, obviously like trying to push the like terror or horror of the situation, but at the same time, there's some moments in there, which I tried to also have him and us through him see that like, there's some real beauty in this situation. There is like a beauty in the Canyon of the natural world. Um, there's a beauty in him having to, you know, put the brakes on his life and be forced to just like examine himself. You know, there's just, I, I think it's important that, to have that balance basically between the, the, the horror of the situation and the, Oh wow. But this is actually kind of a, a, a beautiful place, which, Funnily enough, for me, it was the same situation when I was shooting it because I was, <laughs> was very much like, oh, my God, this is a nightmare. What's going to go wrong? What's going to go wrong? And then, like, just every now and then, I'd be waiting for the crew to set up and I'd sit down on the bank of the canyon and I'd look up and I'd just be like, oh, my God, just floored by the natural beauty and just um, suddenly you're, you're like, you know, it centers you, you know. Uh, Barnaby, I want to talk about uh, real quick here. I want to talk about casting. Mm. Um, that uh, honestly, I thought with with your two leads was perfect casting on both sides because I think that with both of your leads, with Caitlin Shiel and Scott Hayes, they both bring their own sort of personal brand of intensity, mm. and I think that they it, it's all you know through their own doing and you know I, i've been a fan of, of caitlin shield for a long time mm-hmm. uh russ she was in um heidecker's movie the comedy oh yeah, she was yeah, that's yeah. Right. that was the, i think that was one of the first times i remember her and i've been following her since then and then when i was watching the film it didn't dawn on me um who scott was until i was like oh this is the guy who played lester ballard in a cormac mccarthy adaptation that was directed by uh, James Franco, oh, uh, yeah. adapted <laughs> Child of God. And um, it, now I, I don't want to, uh, you know, I don't want this to be sort of stolen valor here, Barnaby. I'm, I don't want it to come across as I'm this well-read, uh, <laughs> you know, learned man of Cormac McCarthy. I've read two Cormac Ooh. McCarthy novels and they were the shortest I could find. And <laughs> Child of God was the one. And um, this, I was interested in this project because it was a movie that was, considered to be unfilmable mm. and after reading the novel i can confirm because yeah. i remember watch i remember when the movie was coming out, i was like i don't know how they're going to make a movie about this um dim-witted giant redneck uh necrophiliac oh okay. that's what the movie i mean that's what the novel is it got difficult right at the end there and then <laughs> the movie was pretty good and i was like who are they going to get to play this guy and then that was scott hayes and Whoa. I remember I, when he started Luke getting a little nuts in the movie, I was like, that's my guy. I remember him <laughs> from that. And uh, they were just fantastic. So just, yeah, just talk about a little bit about casting and, and getting those two in the film. Yeah, sure. Um, well, yeah, actually, Scott was, uh, I was unaware of him 
and his work, um, I was, I'd been through like so many different people and just couldn't find the right person. And it was getting very like ninth hour, you know, and, um, uh, somebody suggested him. And so I looked at, um, what he'd done and suddenly I was just like, Oh shit, he's been in like all these films, which I've seen, you know, um, which in a way is kind of like, it's a, it can be a good thing because when you see this person, you're who's been in all these films, which are good films that I liked, um, and, but just kind of like disappeared into the background. That can be quite nice sometimes. But then I, you know, did a bit of a deeper dive and watched Child of God, you know, and um, that was, it was that. And then his performance in, what was it called? Um, It was about, he plays uh, a vet, just come back from Iran. Oh, I don't know. It was Thank you for your uh, service. Yes, yes, yes. Iraq, actually. Um, yeah, yeah, that's right. And uh, just seeing him in those two films, he's just like very real, um, very like he has this just like, well, especially in Child of God, you see this ability of him to go from uh, this kind of, kind of, you know, he's a, he's a, a maniac in that film, you know? Um, and I, I wanted somebody who could go from like your regular guy to just like crazy primal version of himself. And that was him. I mean, that was, that was what I saw in him. And I, cause I don't, I think it's a hard thing for actors to do that. I think it's like a lot of them can, can just do the conversational. They can, they can do the action. They can do all these things, but like, to get to like really reach this place, which is like very kind of primal is really tough. Um, so yeah, basically, you know, he just, he just struck me as, as just like, he had that quality to be able to like reach the place that I wanted him to go. And that was very, it seemed like without that, the film just wouldn't have, it wouldn't be able to get to where it needed to be, you know? And then, and then I needed this balance with Kate, and Kate is somebody who, um, I, again, I was I was a bit more aware of her. I'd seen some of the movies she'd been in, and I thought she was a very interesting actress. I thought she yeah. had like, she just had this ability to. Well, when I spoke to her, I had like a Zoom conversation with her, and it was during the pandemic. We were casting it. And she, we had a great conversation and she's just like really sweet telling me how much she loved the script. And, but throughout the whole thing, she has this slightly kind of mysterious, unknowable quality to her, which like was great because I was just like, oh yeah, that's what I want. You know, at the same yeah. time I was like, does she really like the script? I mean, she's saying this, <laughs> but, like, but she just had this, she just has this inherent mystery to her that we don't really know what she's thinking. And it's just kind of a, which was not something, I mean, obviously it's very much in the character, but it wasn't something I was thinking about during casting. But when I saw sure. that, I was just like, oh yeah, this is great, you know? Um, and plus, you know, like you said, it's sort of the marriage between, you know, her skill set and Scott's. And it, it really, you you really found a, a, a nice sort of, you know, melody in between the two. Yeah, well, they, they, um, I had no idea, obviously, you know, again, low budget, um, little time, 
not much pre-production. I had no idea how, you know, you have these ideas of like, oh yeah, we're going to get like weeks of rehearsal. But really we had two days like before we shot of just like doing read throughs in this barn in Utah before we shot. And it was just, um, and within that, um, yeah, it was very comforting to see immediately the dynamic between them, which was, you know, on one hand, both very willing and wanting to make this as good as it can possibly be, wanting to put everything into it and wanting to do it together. But on the other hand, like completely different people, like and completely different approaches. Yeah. And um, just really seeing them, they just, yeah, they, they, I think that what makes them so different, it just really helped them well, help, 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 helped it visually on the screen. You just see these two very different people, you know, which yeah, is what they are. And, um, and it was intense because they, they're really, I mean, Scott's like shouting at her like a lot of the time, <laughs> like really going off on her and like, and she's like taking a beating, you know? And um, so I think the scene where, you know, two thirds of the way through the movie where she unleashes um, you'll know which scene when you see it is like that's was just such an amazing moment for us because I think she'd been holding all this stuff in for and then suddenly you just saw this like other side to her which was tremendous it was like you know just harnessing mother nature and just throwing it at Scott and it was really really awesome um but they uh yeah they, they were they were they were great man I mean really just like so so good to work with and so uh I think the just so committed that was the main thing they were both like really in because it was hard yeah. it's really hard and it was like really hot during the day really cold at night just like it's not there's no luxuries there it's just like um it's tough and so you need people in that situation who are who are, are all in and they both were um i will say something kind of funny about scott was that we when i was casting we we uh i had somebody else there was somebody else who was kind of in the on the cards at the time um who was great you know really really excellent actor who i really respect and it was really up for it and um but i just couldn't decide between him and scott and my producer and casting director were just kind of going mad just saying look you was just like literally like two weeks before we shoot this we <laughs> make a decision now you know and so i was like oh god what am i going to do and they were like look just take 20 minutes think it over and then let us know you know so i put down the phone to them and i ran into my house and spoke to my wife and i'm like what am i going to do i've got this guy and i've got this guy and i can't decide and she was just like Let's pull some tarot cards. <laughs> oh, fuck yeah. <laughs> and uh, there was like, it was really funny. And then we literally, you know, did the cards. And then there was the first guy, you know, and we got his cards down. And like, basically, there were these, they have like different, they're not, it's not like a regular tarot deck. They have like different, like earth and wind and fire, like signs and stuff. And, and the first guy got this earth sign and which was like, yeah, it's going to be really nice. And it's going to, you know, 
feel good and together and all this kind of stuff. And then Scott's was fire. And it was just like, this is going to be hard, but you know, what you're going to get in the end of it is going to be worth it. You know, the, what it's going to brought, he's going to, what you're going to bring out in each other is going to be something special. So I went for the, yeah, the fire against the earth. <laughs> and it was, uh, yeah, I think it was pretty, pretty, uh, pretty right. So, yeah. Now, was, That's great. Now, when you decided to turn to divination to figure out who to cast, what was the mood there? Was it like, we're going to sit down and really do this? Or was it kind of like a casual, like, oh, this will be fun? Because I know my mom, she does readings very sporadically. And she'll only do it, like, I think I'm an idiot and I laugh at everything. And I always try <laughs> to play with her on it. She gets very mad at me. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, and I'm like, I'm not, I don't mean to be disrespectful. I'm like, you raised yeah. me, you should know, like. It's how I navigate the world, but she, it's like, no, I respect the shit. So I'm just yeah, curious. Did you all come at it like that? Like, well, I mean, my wife takes it pretty seriously. She's like really into it. Um, I am less, I'm more on your wavelength, a little yeah. bit of Nick basically, <laughs> but at the same time, like, you know, desperate times, call for desperate measures and like you just want to fucking yep. sign man you want to just like sometimes you're just so lo- i mean i've literally seen i don't know like 50 different fucking people and like a yeah. certain point we're just like okay i just need to figure this shit out because it was like two this two weeks before before we, i left or maybe even less maybe it's a week before i left for utah so and we still had this film was not cast and i had to make this decision and and I had this kind of sense that that um, that that was the case before we even did it, you know, because I could see in, in Scott's temperament that he's, you know, he's a complicated guy. You know, he's not like the easiest guy to work with. He's incredibly committed and he's very good, but he's like he can be difficult at times and everything. But but at the same time, in the in the cause of his work, um, and and I wanted to. Uh, but you know that's fine. You know if it's if it is for for the ultimate. You know it's the whatever like the Kinski Herzog situation. Like you know you you if you go for who's going to bring the best out of this character, and I felt like this guy was going to do that, and um and the the cards kind of confirmed what I was feeling. So I did take it seriously, basically. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> if um we don't play with fire, Russell. Well man you. Again, I know this is gonna be completely relatable, but if you ever run like a D and D game, like a tabletop kind of game, you might find yeah. yourself in a position where you don't know like the best monster to put in a dungeon. Sure. Yeah. So what you do is you make a table, 20 things, you think about it a lot, and then you assign it to a die and you roll it. And then in your heart of hearts, you already know what you want. Or maybe yeah. it's not clear until you remove the control from it. Um, yeah, yeah. And then you go, yeah, I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to do this. Yeah, so whatever makes sense, you know, whatever gives you that, that, that confirmation that you're seeking basically. 100%. Yeah. I do like hearing you talk about uh, like kind of fire, like, right. Like perfect element. Yeah. Because again, I felt like your film was so controlled. I'm um, very curious to watch your career. I hope you had a good experience and you want to keep making feature film. And 
if you do, are you going to play in the genre more or are you, you strike me as the type who might want to branch out and go do some serious drama oh, or something, but <laughs> going romantic comedy all the way. Yeah. <laughs> Can't wait. Uh, no, I am. Um, I, uh, do want to carry on absolutely and i am writing something right now and it is still in the horror world it's not in the desert it's like out it's like based in new york and um kind of a it's more in the polanski cronenberg world so okay. um, yeah. um that's a little bit more yeah urban it's my it's my Upper East Side body horror, basically. So that's that's kind of where I'm going at the moment. Um, Sign us up, and, and it's fun. I'm enjoying writing it. Um, I you know who knows if I'll always stick to horror, but it's something that I really love. You know, I grew up loving, and um, it it was my kind of like entry point into cinema. And I think you know my heart's always going to be there. Um, if I go off and do something else, probably have some pretty fucked up screwy undertones whatever it is <laughs> yeah i again i think the community is going to try and put your movie in a corner like put it in a box and categorize it and i oh, yeah i am guilty of that too and i think you've you've made something that's really hard to do like it's hard to really put a label on what you've done here mm-hmm. and i mm-hmm. think that's super refreshing I, I love that kind of stuff and um i know i know we're running out of time yeah, I'm not, you know, I mean, I, I'm, I'm not a, uh, I do dislike labels and boxes. I really mm-hmm. do. You know, I like it when people do stuff, which just feels like, what is that? You know, where it's unclassifiable somehow. I don't think, I mean, I think this film kind of sits somewhere, but it's, yeah, I know. I remember, um, I spoke to this journalist, um, kind of classic British horror journalist, Kim Newman. And he was like, he was like wrestling with my film about like, yeah, is it like kind of B movie cannibal type desert horror? Or is it like, I think he said like Sundancey art film or something, you know, <laughs> he was just trying to, trying to, but I'm in my mind, it's just, I'm just like, well, why can't it be kind of both? Why can't we sit? in in the middle somewhere why can't we find a place where you can do a cannibal b movie and yet it have some substance and style and just be you know a little bit like artistically minded i'm I'm, you know i like that so yeah i think the reason we can't do it is because once you've made it a clear indicator that we're we're venturing into horror territory you get an uh, green light to punch down and for mm-hmm. critics i think that offers an opportunity to really like flex a wit that mm-hmm. you can't really do with like another genre yeah so it, it just it becomes part of the thing and yeah. once you're identified as like a highbrow like tiff sundance film yeah. you kind of gotta like use kid gloves when you're gonna come at it or just you know get up and walk out of the screening that's the major <laughs> protest of a highbrow film film fest <laughs> yeah. um yeah, I, uh, I, I'm glad to hear that you want to stay in horror because, again, I got to crowbar in one more question. I'm sorry, Clark. Uh, Are you? Yeah, I didn't know. <laughs> no, I would trap Barnaby here. And again, thank you for doing yeah. this. I know you're probably on a oh. press gauntlet 
Because no, it's great. I've been, really enjoyed it. You know, uh, it's you, you've enlivened my Sunday afternoon. It's perfect. <laughs> oh, dude, lie to me all day, please. But again, <laughs> films yeah. coming out VOD Friday, twenty sixth. Um, yes. We're we gotta we'll be pushing it. But I have to ask, and this is slight spoiler territory, but there's a moment that I feel like if it were written on paper, I just thought in no way will this ever look good. And uh, we, we have a kid tied to um, several ropes being um, strung. And I just thought it looked, it looked too good. I was kind of confused how you made it and how you executed that. And I had to ask. Yeah. Well, yeah, that is a, uh, um, that was something that I had to ask myself <laughs> prior to uh, shooting this. How the fuck are we going to do this? Um, yeah, it was very, uh, um, well, what was interesting actually was that I, I was terrified with shooting that scene because I just thought it was going to be so complicated and uh, just take days to shoot. But we actually had one day to shoot it and um and that was shooting all the drama at the bottom as well, which is going on, um, which is a huge scene between the two of them. Um, so it actually was, we, we came up with a solution which was way simpler than, than, than it seems. And it took a, a lot less time. It was, you know, you want me to go into it? If you, I don't want you to reveal your magic trick if, it, if we get into that kind of territory. I mean, we're but, teasing it. Let's go ahead okay. and. Uh... Okay. He's basically, we built a frame. We built like um, a frame, which was about, uh, let's say, it was about 10 foot by five foot frame out of like, I think, aluminium or something like that, like very reinforced aluminium. And. This boy, stunt boy, amazing, incredible, <laughs> the most fucking like courageous kid I've ever come across. Oh, he is a kid. That wasn't an adult stunt boy. That wasn't an adult, and it's not a dummy. It's a kid, and oh, he's like eleven or something. And he was eleven by 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 his arms and legs, but he's also he has a a, a body brace which is really, and then there's a rope coming up from his stomach, which is basically, that's taking all the weight. And that's going up to a crane, which is holding him and his weight and also holding the frame. And so that was hanging there. And he was basically hanging about, yeah, the height that he is in the film. So yeah. 60 foot off the ground. And uh, yeah, it's unbelievable. And then we just obviously with some magic got rid of the uh the frame and then we painted in the the rest of the ropes um and voila there it is but it was incredible i mean it was just like it was amazing seeing it and i was just like oh my god this kid is incredible just like he was so sweet and so up for it he was actually the our lead stuntman's son and um okay <laughs> yeah, yeah that's how you that's how you get into stunts basically. it checks out i was about to say did you yeah. pick up this kid from the circus on the way yeah. to the shoot or yeah and then the boy yeah. the boy who who uh who whose actual character it happens to we also did the same with him but he's really scared of frights um sorry frights I, scared yeah of frights. <laughs> And Heights we, are frights uh, for me. Fine. I'm there too. Yeah. And and we hung him up as well, but maybe like, I think about, I don't know, 10 foot or something like that. 
you know, so with a bunch of stuff underneath. So he felt pretty comfortable about it just to get the kind of close ups and, and, uh, but it was really, oh my God, we had so many different ideas of how we were going to do that. And, um, but yeah, worked out pretty good in the end. That was my one, I will say that was my one really enjoyed day on set. That was the one day I was just like, oh, this is great. I'm really enjoying this. <laughs> <laughs> really working. <laughs> well, it looks great. It looks fantastic. It, Thank uh, you. Yeah. It's one of those things like, God, we've been doing this damn show for like eight years now. And you just, yeah. it's so good to watch like a horror film in particular and just be like, how the fuck did they do that? Yeah. I would have yeah. never guessed there was an 11 year old boy. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, you know, the thing is, it's like we looked at, yeah, Obviously, the obvious way to do it is with a dummy. Yeah. You know, yeah. I spoke to a friend of mine who's like a genius VFX designer, and he was just like, look, if you want a good articulated dummy, that's basically about fifty, sixty thousand dollars $60,000, you know, and which was obviously way, way out of our price range. So... You know, and I, I was just like, I, I didn't even want a dummy in the first place. I want to, <laughs> well, we got this stunt person's kid. I know, hell yeah. <laughs> I know. I'm, the whole time I'm like, is he really going to do this? Is he actually going to do this? And then he just went and he did it. Just like. That's wild. Hats off to him. Amazing. Was there any paperwork or anything involved? I just imagine that would be a nightmare. <laughs> I know. Or is the dad just like, nah, he's good. Like, go yeah, for it. Dad was like, actually, yeah, he was totally he is all in like you know um yeah it was amazing it was amazing i mean there was a lot of stunt work and a lot of the uh, you know which which is funny because one of the things when i was writing it was like i'm trying to do something which is my whole like mo when i'm writing this is like low budget containable you know easy to shoot and then of course you know you get carried away and then suddenly you write scenes like that and you're like oh shit how am i gonna do that (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and, and you realize that every time we see one of these kids or, or all the kids up on the top they are all like harnessed up you know so we've got a we spend you know they spent like two hours or just like harnessing them up they spent already they've been uh, the stunt team was up there like setting up all these harnesses and then you got to paint them out afterwards and like Nothing is simple, basically. I'm just like, oh, it's a kid. Just sta- he's just standing up on the ridge, the kind of stuff I did when I was a kid. But uh, obviously you can't do that on film. So, you know, you have, you have to be responsible, um, which is right. And actually, you know, it, well, it was also, you know, when we were shooting it, it was actually, um, on a serious note, it was, it was when the, the accident happened on the Rust set, you know? And, oh. Um, and, you know, which really put things into perspective for us because you're like you know when you're on a low budget shoot you're just like you're just trying to make it work and you're you're hustling for time and cutting corners and everything and you realize that oh shit you know we do you know we have you know we have to be responsible here you have to and it because it is dangerous like these kids are up there on the edge of this you know it's a 60 foot drop and um they're like running around and chanting and kind of getting into the spirit of it and really going for it. And you, you got to be careful basically. So that was, a, yeah. 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 That deal. drop felt like it was 200 feet in the moment. Yeah, I know. It's funny though. Cause when we were down there, I kept on 
I kept on worrying, you know, in that situation, you can feel like just your, your mind can play tricks on you and you're like looking up and you're looking through the camera and you're like, ah, oh, it doesn't really look that high. Like, because you know, I'm really trying to, I was trying to, the, the, the balance in the script and the story is trying to, is trying to have it, well, between the script, I should say, and shooting it is having it so, A, it looks like he can't escape. So it's, it's high enough where he can't escape, but low enough where if somebody's standing up there looking down, we can see them and we can talk to them, you know? So it's just get, like getting that kind of perfect yeah. balance. It's really like, you know, if it was like a hundred foot, or 200 foot, you just wouldn't be able to see them. You wouldn't have any, any kind of conversation with them. So that wouldn't work. So you have to like find the perfect height that feels like that's even as it was, I mean, you couldn't really have much of a conversation with, with yeah. somebody still out there. We definitely did a bit of cheating there, but, um, but yeah, I was always thinking like looking through the camera, like maybe it looks like he can get out, you know? No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I kept thinking, dude, you're don't, don't try. Yeah. This is home now. And there's a moment uh, without spoiling anything where uh, he's in a state of desperation and somebody's up there and he's yelling and they respond with almost like a whisper. And that's yeah. kind of what I kept talking about with your control. Cause every bit of this felt like there was care provided. Mm. And that yeah. moment, I don't know something about the response from up top was just yeah. like, I don't know. It was kind of chilling. And, um, <laughs> I again, dude, a uh, fantastic job. I um I'm very excited to follow your career and I I loved hearing you say that you cut the the like pre-story out of this movie because I think my favorite part was just kind of showing up and being able yeah. to fully project on this dude. Yeah. And just kind of make assumptions. I I really enjoyed it. Thank and you. Yeah. What, what platforms is it going to be available on when it hits VOD? Um Oh God, I should know, but I don't know. Oh, like um, all, yeah, all all the major platforms, I, I imagine. Um, so it's also in the theaters as well. So if you can, I would say go see it. Well, it's it, it's a small theatrical release. It's going to be in Los, Los Angeles and, and New York, but also it will come to some other states as well. And we're just figuring out the uh, um, the details. Like hopefully, I'll find out everything tomorrow. It's everything's so last minute, which is insane. But yeah. Um, I think that's the way it goes with smaller films like this. But well, uh, the, like, the studios are currently they're procuring all their tarot cards, uh, <laughs> so they're doing the same thing. So the, yeah. you know, you got to give them time to do that. Oh, if only they did that, man. The, the world would be a better place. Um, yeah, no. So it'll it'll. Uh, but if you are, if you happen to be in a city where this film is shown in the cinema, then please go and see it there because it it is like. Yes, I'm a video director, but this and uh, yes, I do care about the image. But you know, there is a film beneath that as well. And but the image is is great, and the sound is great. And if you can experience that on a large screen, it's really it's pretty awesome. Agreed. I'd love to. I highly would recommend going to catch it in a theater. There are some movies that you know you can make an argument it didn't you don't need a big screen or you probably have a sixty inch. 4k one at your home yeah. but i think so, the sound design here alone warrants like oh, yeah. really being immersed in that so if you yeah. can like i san francisco we have such a good film community like culture here but we don't get shit like this so uh, yeah i know go watch so it in la so it will come up here 
There you go. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Maybe I'll bring it to San Francisco. I'll get oh, it. I'll please get do. We'll take it. Yeah. Let <laughs> us know. We'll help you. <laughs> Barbie, oh, thanks so much, man. This was great. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. It's been great talking. Have a have a have a lovely day. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Overlook Hour. And if you would like to hear more, please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever your podcatcher of choice is. And while you're there, go ahead and give us a rating and or a review, which is a very easy way for you to support this show uh, that we bring to you every week for years now, free of charge. And as always, you can find us on YouTube at The Overlook Theater, Instagram at The Overlook Theater, Facebook at The Overlook Hour, and Twitter at The Overlook Hour. Last but not least, you can send us your emails and tell us how much you like or dislike the show at overlookhour at gmail.com. And if you're nice, maybe we'll uh, read them on the show. I've been your engineer, Randy Stat. Please join me along with Clark, Russell, and Oksana again next time. Bye.